With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, I'm Niall. This is Football Social Daily, the podcast packed full of news, views and opinions on the English top flight. Premier League action did return this Easter weekend and so did Everton's James Rodriguez as we were treated to a double header on Easter Monday. The Colombian on the score sheet at Goodison Park, but it wasn't enough to secure three points against Crystal Palace. Things are more comfortable for the high-flying Hammers though. West Ham now fourth in the Premier League table after a 3-2 win over disappointing Wolves where Jesse Lingard was the star again. Although, will they cling on to a Champions League place now that Antonio and Declan Rice are both out injured? Speaking of the Champions League, we've reached the quarter-final stage of this season's competition and the first legs of Liverpool against Real Madrid and Manchester City versus Borussia Dortmund take place tonight. Who will hold the advantage between two European heavyweights and will Dortmund striker Erling Haaland make an impact against the club he's hotly tipped to join this summer? Welcome along to the show. With me today to discuss it all, we have Matt Cunningham. Hello, Matt. Hello, Niall. How are we? I'm very good. How was your Easter? Uh, not too bad. We were just talking there. It was a little bit long with nothing to do, but not too bad. Thank know, you. Not normally do you complain about a couple of extra days off at a weekend, but when everything's still closed and there's nothing to do, <laughs> it sometimes can drag on a little bit. We've also got straight talking Stefan Armstrong with us today. How are you doing, Steph? No, no, I'm good, Tal. Yeah, really good. What do you get up to over your days off? Uh, well, I, I didn't get bored at all. I loved it. I mean, I'll be honest with you, you're always ribbing me for going back to the 90s. And I spent the majority of yesterday watching um, Stephen Hendry against Jimmy White in the snooker. So there you go. <laughs> Who won? Stephen Hendry won. As always. <laughs> he wins everything, Stephen Hendry. Um, of course, you can catch some snooker chat on our Snooker Scene podcast, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So if you are looking for something a little bit different from us here at Sports Social and you are into your snooker, much like myself and Stefan, then head over to the Snooker Scene podcast, one of our brand new shows on the Sports Social Podcast Network. And if you're a podcast presenter, producer, creator, you've got your own sports show and you fancy being part of the team, just get in touch with us. Check us out on the website, sport-social.co.uk. Absolutely 
zero hosting fees for your podcast and we can help you grow too. So go and check it out. That website one more time, sport-social.co.uk. Right then, time to talk about Premier League action because two games yesterday on Easter Monday, the first of which took place at Goodison Park where it finished Everton 1, Crystal Palace 1. The visitors from South London picking up a point late on in the game, an 86th minute equaliser from Michi Batshuayi after Hamas Rodriguez had given Everton the lead. So, Steph, Rodriguez back in the side, back in the goals. What an impact from him. If Hamas Rodriguez had spent more time fit and available for Carlo Ancelotti this season, do you think Everton would be in with a better chance of finishing in the top four this season? Undoubtedly, yeah, because he takes his chances. And that's exactly what he did yesterday. His his first uh, real attempt on goal and and is in the back of a net. And you compare that with somebody like... um, Calvert-Lewin, who has been pretty clinical all season, but yesterday he squandered chance after chance. He had some one-on-ones, he had some decent opportunities to put the ball away, he didn't. And uh, Rakalsen was a little bit the same yesterday. So if you're relying on just these two players, uh, I think we can see why Everton have maybe missed out on some chances, lacking a bit of that um, that clinical edge, which we've, we've spoken about other teams in the top four hunt have had. Um, whereas Everton have kind of been lacking that in recent weeks, and that's probably because Hamas Rodriguez hasn't been playing. So he proved yesterday his value to Ancelotti, and he and he got them what should have been three points, but in typical Everton fashion, became one point. Um, so, yeah, I, f- I think they probably would have fared a little bit better this season. Um, I mean, don't get us wrong, they're still in the hunt uh, for the top four, but they're outside favourites now. And with him fit all season long, they, they might have been a bit more in the mixer. Do you go along with that, Matt? I think that Rodriguez, as a player, everyone was quite surprised that Everton managed to pull off signing him, much like they were surprised when Carlo Ancelotti took over as manager. And it just feels that when he does play for Everton, the whole team is given a bit of a lift because the club's been given a lift with Ancelotti coming in because he's a world-class manager who's won multiple trophies. But with Rodriguez, someone who kind of comes with that star quality, it feels like it gives Everton on the whole a bit of a boost when they do go out to play Premier League games. Yeah, yeah, I think I think Stefan is spot on. He's he's like a, he's a classy player. I was surprised when they got him, but I also didn't think he would be as good as he has been. He wasn't I don't think he was this good at, at um Real Madrid and he's he's sort of we, what we saw for Colombia at that one World Cup where he scored the goal of the tournament and he was unbelievable, I don't think was a true representation of Rodriguez. But the Rodriguez at Everton, he's been top draw. And when I watch him play, he, he changes them a little bit. They, they, they look a bit lacklustre going forward. And then when he plays, that entire dimension changes. So I think they've been unlucky with injuries. They, they did some good recruitment in the summer. Alan, I think, has missed portions of the season as well. Um, and he looked good at the start of the season. So I think if Rodriguez could have stayed fit, it's got to it's got to only benefit them. He's he's, he's been fantastic all season. He'd probably be a shoe in for um, a player of the season award, and you know people will be talking about him in that vein because when he plays, he really does make a difference to that side. Yeah, Hamed Rodriguez for me, certainly Everton star performer, and I don't think there'd be too many people listening to this who would disagree with that. But as you mentioned a moment ago, Stefan, almost typical Everton letting a lead slip, drawing with Crystal Palace. Yesterday, they've lost to Fulham earlier on in the season. They lost to Newcastle as well this campaign. Is that, as well as the fact maybe some of their key players have been absent at chunks of the season, is that partly what's been holding them back as well? The fact that in these games where you'd expect a side chasing the top four like Everton to win, they haven't come away with all three points? Yeah, it's a mentality thing. Um, and if you compare them to the likes of Chelsea, I'm, I, always, I always fancy Chelsea to be more clinical and, and get the job done. 
Uh, whereas Everton, there's still a little bit of doubt. And I think that just comes from them historically having kind of been that team in the Premier League over over a, maybe decades, um, who have always shown lots of promise, um, but maybe not done it consistently enough. And that's that's been Everton's season once again. Like the game yesterday, for me, the, the best player on, on the park for Everton was Andre Gomez. Mm. And the way he was driving up from centre midfield and it gave him just a little bit urgency. And I felt like they were playing on the front foot a little bit more. But when your best player is is your uh, defensive midfielder, that's that's a bit of a problem. You, you need to see more spark from the likes of Rick Carlson yeah. uh, and Calvert-Lewin taking his chances. And, and again, that, that's why they're probably not there. Um, yeah. Is it that midfield area then, Stefan? Like you say, Andre Gomez being a defensive player. We know how good he can be on his day. But in terms of the actual midfield creativity, it very much does fall at the feet of James Rodriguez. And, you know, obviously they've got Richarlison who can operate through the middle, but also out wide. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin's the main striker. But if you're talking about someone who can piece things together, I mean, we'll talk about Jesse Lingard when we come on to West Ham a bit later on in the show. But you can see the kind of role that he's played for them. I'm thinking Bruno Fernandes is the kind of playmaker for Manchester United. And, you know, even so, you just feel like Everton... If they're not relying on Hamas Rodriguez, they need someone else in that, I don't want to call it a 10 role, but you know what I mean, that creative role to step up and, and really get things going for them. Well, yeah, it's part of the formation as well. They're playing five at the back with two wing backs, which which leaves them a little bit short in midfield if, if Hamas Rodriguez is going to be playing right behind the front too. So you're probably looking at the position where Tom Davis is playing and he's maybe not the link between defence and attack, which, which you've just named it you know, a host of other players, he's probably not in that same category. So that's probably what they're missing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that maybe there needs to be an eye on bringing in someone else creatively or maybe even converting another of Everton's players into that creative position. Because I think that, you know, Hamas Rodriguez has shown that he struggled to play, you know, 90 minutes every week. I think it's fair to say with the statistics there. Um, as for Crystal Palace, they're still finding results, Matt. They're still somehow finding a way to, to get results in positions where people are probably not expecting them to get results. If Roy Hodgson moves on in the summer, which looks very likely because his contract is up at the end of the season, do you think he can be satisfied with his work at Crystal Palace on the whole? He's been there a few seasons now. Um, I guess Premier League survival is... Not expected at Crystal Palace, but certainly you wouldn't you wouldn't back them to go down most seasons, despite the quality of the squad. So you know they're twelfth at the moment, mid table. Do you think that Roy Hodgson can be happy with his work on the whole, and it is time to hand over the reins to someone new? Yeah, I, th- I think Roy Hodgson would have been happy with his work if he had retired after he just saved them in that first season when he took over from um, De Boer. You know, he's, he felt like he saved them from the depths of hell then. Um, yeah. And they've gone on, and they, they they've they've cemented themselves more as that sort of mid-table team now, which it, it, that goes a long way in the Premier League. Just finishing the same position every single season, you know, for going from say mm. a side finishing around the relegation zone to to going mid-table, that goes a long way because that's what players look at when they want to come to the club. That's what they look at. Oh, they're mid-table each season, so there's room to grow in from there, and so on and mm. so forth. Similarly to Leicester, for instance, you know, they they won the league, but they've kept on going since 2015. They they're always there or thereabouts, and that's. Uh, part and parcel of it so so Roy Hodgson has done a great job I don't know mm. if he'll keep will he keep on managing I'm, I'm really not sure he's looks like it might be time for him to retire what is he about in, in his 70s now must be yeah 70 mm. something so he's done he's done a fantastic job at Palace I'm sure the uh, Palace fans love him for what he's done and for Palace 
in the same sense, they might think a new young manager that's got a few more years in him, can he push us on, give us some new ideas? So I think it'd be a win-win for both sides should he move on. But he's done, he's done a great job in a few years there. It's really interesting to see which angle they take in the summer because I think when they try to change up the style, I think they went from Sam Allardyce, if I'm not mistaken, it was either Allardyce or Pulis, into Frank de Boer, and they lost the first five games of the Premier League season without scoring a goal. And I think they panicked, pressed the panic button and sacked him. Um, you can understand why they sacked him, but the last time they went for a distinctive change of style, it backfired terribly. So I do wonder if there are any skeletons in the closet, let's just say, uh, any demons from that which might be putting off the hierarchy of Crystal Palace from from maybe making a, a more progressive change. Anyway, 1-1 at Goodison Park. It finished yesterday. Crystal Palace 12th on 38 points. They're not going down. They're not really getting much higher than mid-table. So again, another decent enough season for Crystal Palace by their standards. As for Everton, as Stefan rightly says, outside shot for the top four, currently an eighth, 47 points, which means they are five points off of West Ham United in fourth. And yes, you heard me correctly, West Ham United are in fourth in the Premier League table. They're in the Champions League places after last night's 3-2 victory over Wolverhampton Wanderers. They looked really, really good, Stefan. And last season, I remember you saying that Chelsea had kind of become your second team even though you weren't expecting it with the way that Lampard had the young players and all the rest of it is West Ham your second team this season because they've certainly taken a few by surprise come on you irons <laughs> yeah yeah how much of a flake am I now that West Ham is my favourite London team <laughs> you're just the whore aren't you really it's pathetic it's embarrassing <laughs> nah I mean do you know what West Ham were maybe the best maybe the best performance uh, first half performance of the Premier League season that yesterday they were absolutely on fire and yeah. and it was just it was just so quick um and obviously it was it was driven by by Lingard I mean his uh his solo goal was was classic that that was that was the Lingard at his best from a few years ago so to see him back in that form is is superb for England going into the summer um so Lingard was amazing Fornals took his goal well uh, as did Bowen um but sticking with Lingard um a little bit of skill uh, he, he showed for, for four nails goal. Um, remind me a little bit of what Berbatov did at Man United um, on the byline once with that sort of like flick and spin and then getting it in. Um, yeah, it, it was it was really, really good football. And um, they nearly let it slip. Wolves nearly got back into it. So that, mm -hmm. that would be a little bit concerning for Davy Moyes. But the most important thing was the three points. Um, continue to form. Um as I understand, Antonio's out, which is also worrying for Moyes because he started as a lone striker yesterday. But I think Bowen's proved that he can he can he can handle the pressure, so it's looking good for West Ham. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Jesse Lingard there. How impressive has he been, Matt, since he's uh, arrived at West Ham on loan in January from Manchester United? It's a win-win situation, I think, for both Manchester United and West Ham. We'll come on to that in a second. But in terms of his form and how he's playing, is he the most informed player in the Premier League right now for you? Ooh, that's a good question. He, he's, he's definitely up there. He's definitely. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to think of um, any other names that I can throw into the hat. He's, but he's definitely up there. I think this is. It's what he needed. Jesse Lingard is. He. Everyone lost faith in him. United. He barely. You know. I don't even know if he played a game. Maybe. Maybe played one game. Yeah, I or think something. two appearances for United this season. Two appearances. So yeah, everyone just lost faith in him. The fans, the staff alike. I think he just there's you know there's been talk about that he you know maybe wasn't in a in a in a good place on a personal level so so hopefully he's come through that or he, or he's coming through that but he just needed an arm around him and someone to tell him that he's the man and he's the main guy and we, you know we want you to have the ball we want you to lead the attack and you to make the chances because he's got it in his locker we've 
so so many times we watch United and he does something unbelievable. He, you know, he's he, he got into the England team. He's done. He scored some worldy goals. A lot of them coming at mm. Wembley. The one against Crystal Palace in the FA Cup stands out. He's a really yeah. talented footballer, and people do forget that because he, he's, he's actually quite disrespected um, in the English game. But because he had a, he had a rough patch, but so does everyone. Eden Hazard went a whole season in the Premier League, only scoring was it two or three goals, something like that. Or yeah, so. You know, everyone goes through rough spells. He's been fantastic since he's gone to West Ham, um, which I'm over the moon about. People are talking about him maybe even making the England squad in the summer. I don't think he, he's of the ilk of some of the attacking midfielders that England do have, you know, Grealish and Mount and Madison and so on and so forth. Sancho, for instance. But if he makes the squad, that another huge step for him in, in getting back to what he once was. Um, and I, th I think West Ham, it's, it's just been a perfect match for him. When, when he went to West Ham, I thought to myself... Yeah, I don't know if that's going to work. I don't know. Jesse Lingard in West Ham, it just didn't feel right, but but he, he's fit in perfectly. And I kind of hope he gets a permanent move there in the summer. You know, I seen a rumour of um, something £40 million, which sounds like you're pricing, if, if that is the case, um, from United's end for Jesse Lingard, it sounds like you're pricing out a lot of clubs, maybe maybe if not every club for, for Jesse Lingard. But I do hope that West Ham find a way to keep him permanently in the summer because I think it would be great mm. for his career. And they're, they're a team that, as we've just spoke about, pushing up the league, becoming a better side. I've had a fantastic season so far. And he's, you know, he, he ju it just fits perfectly. Um, and you can see that on the pitch with the way he's playing. It does sound a little bit steep, 40 million. But then again, I always come back to this and I always say 40 million now is the 20 million of 10 years ago. You get your, your half decent player goes for 40 million now. That's just the way it is. I mean, yep. look at some of the flops that have cost that much. I mean, West Ham is a great example. Sebastian Allaire, who now isn't even at West Ham anymore, cost them that much. Joel Linton at Newcastle United cost 40 million. So although 40 million might seem a bit steep because he's only been in form for half a season, you have to say he's probably played himself into that value in the few months that he's been at West Ham because he has performed so well. I said a moment ago, Steph, that it's a win-win. It's a win-win for West Ham because they've got a player who's in absolutely fine form. But it's also a win-win for Manchester United because they've now either got a player they can bring back and have a positive impact on their group, which isn't scoring as many goals as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would like, in all fairness. But also, they've now got an asset which, as I've just mentioned, is more valuable than what it was before. Yeah, they've got a price tag on him now. I mean, if I was Solskjaer, I'd, I'd, I honestly don't know what I'd do because he, he offers something that the other midfield players at Man United don't offer. He's, he's, he's got a different dynamic to Paul Pogba, who's uh, more of a muscle player. He's, he's got a bit of a different dynamic to um, to Fernandez, who's who's got more flair. He's 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 kind of a a mashup. Um, he, he gets the ball, he dribbles, he goes forward, he looks up, and uh, Man United in some games don't have that. So he could he could be really useful. Um, and if we're being honest, if we're comparing him to the likes of uh, Donny Van Der Beek, who who's also you know competing uh, for that Man United midfield spot. He's, he's probably shown that he's maybe a better player than Van Der Beek, at least this season anyway. Mm. Um, so it's it's a tough one. But then if he's going to come in and he's going to sit on the bench again, he'll he'll kind of go back to what he was at the beginning of the season. And that's that's no good for Man United. So it's 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 a really tough kind of uh, dilemma which they need to solve because he could do a job for them, but I, don't, I still don't think he'll get enough chances in that midfield to do something for them. So maybe a 40 million price tag to West Ham is ideal for Man U. And he's 28 years old as well. So, you know, I know it's not that old in the grand scheme of things, but as a footballer, he's not getting any younger. The, the same would be. So certainly to go back to Manchester United in his late 20s, 
and try and make his way back into the first team, it feels like now is the right time for him to try and get himself some first team football. So I suppose are we all in agreement that he should sign for West Ham on a permanent basis? What do you think, Matt? I definitely am. I think it's the best option for him. I, ne- I never thought that it could work out this well for him at any club, but I, I thought he could do better. I knew- well, I knew he could do better than he was doing at Manchester United because you don't just lose the ability that he had. You know, it- Lingard was a good United player when he was, A, the new kid on the block. He was new. He had come out of the academy and fought- got an unfortunate injury in his debut when he came back. Uh, he was a great player for United. And then also, B, when the- we didn't really have anyone else. When 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 United had a lack of other players, Lingard became the main man. And that's when he excelled. So I think at West Ham, he gets, a similar, he gets a similar role. You know, unfortunately for Lingard at Manchester United, if things take two or three or four games where it doesn't quite go right, you know, they'll move on. They've got the, they've got the funds and the money and the attraction to go out and get players uh, like Bruno Fernandes, for instance, and like Donny van der Beek, who has also not worked out, but you get my gist. And they'll move on from him. He'll never get that long spell of time where, you know, okay, you're, you're the guy go and score his goals. If it's not going right, we'll bide by, you know, we'll wait our time. At West Ham, he'll get that. So so I think best case scenario is easy, easy moves there in the summer. And Steph, you think he should stay at West Ham? Um, yeah, probably. Or, or look for a, a transfer to the likes of Leicester or Everton, even Villa. Um, even somewhere mm. like Leeds United, I think he would thrive. Um, he, he needs to play in a team where he's going to be appreciated and uh, a team that has has a good attacking philosophy, so I, I wouldn't worry if I was Jesse Lingard. I think he's probably done enough so far to, if 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 Southgate was to pick the England uh, squad tomorrow, he'd probably be in that squad, um, and he'd add an interesting option. And off the back of that, I think you'll you'll get a move to a decent club. Uh, at twenty eight, he's he's still got a long time to go. He's still got a big move left in him, uh, and he'll probably take it. Yeah, and his fitness levels are there, as you can see by the mazy run to score the goal that he did score against Wolves. Really, really good goal. Probably a contender for goal of the month in the Premier League, even though we've only just started April. Reminded me of a five-a-side goal, the way he kind of ghosted past a couple of players and stuck it in. Really good finish from Jesse Lingard. No Declan Rice in the side yesterday, though, Matt. He's going to be out for four to eight weeks, which could either rule him out for the next month or until the end of the season. So we're not too sure about the severity of that. But he injured his knee on England duty. And this is what I found very interesting. Supposedly, he injured his knee on England duty around the hour mark of England against Poland. But yet he stayed on to complete the final 30 or so minutes, despite the fact having an injury. Does this tell us a little bit about the player himself, the determination of Declan Rice to really lead from the front? Because at just 22, 23 years of age, he's a remarkably young captain. Yeah, yeah, he is. He he definitely is. Um... It's a shame that he's, that he's injured. I, I mean, I, I can't even, like you said, he, he played on. I can't even remember, really remember the incident where he, where he may have got injured. Um, I mean, will, will he miss the Euros? I, I think hopefully he'll be back for the, in time for the Euros. I'm not actually as sold as on Declan Rice as a lot of other people seem to be. I'm, I'm still a bit um, cautious. I'm optimistic. He look, there's, there's definitely signs, but I'm a bit cautious in the sense that he is a young English player and we do tend to get... Uh, overexcited about these kind of players. That he, he's not for me. For me, a central midfielder, the ones that you know do a lot of sideways passing and win the ball back and things like that, they can have one great season and then they sort of fade into the background. And you, you, similar to Kante, for instance, there was a time where people told us that Kante was a revelation. He's changed the way people are going to play that role, and now he's just he doesn't even really get in Chelsea's team. I know he's, we're a few years we're a few years removed from that time, but 
I, ju- I just I just never really buy it. You, they, they seem to be ten a penny for me. Declan Rice, however, is a huge asset to England. To England squad specifically, is a, is a huge asset. I don't think there's anyone better to fill that role in the England side. So hopefully he's 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 fit and ready and and, and back to a hundred percent by the time the Euros come around because England do need him. Um, and as you said, that the attitude and the character. Uh, from him from for, for such a young player does seem to be right which is always a positive sign for in the long run yeah I think you can take two elements from that situation one that Declan Rice wanted to carry on and give his all for his country which I think is admirable or that Gareth Southgate should have taken him off should have protected the player and now possibly he's aggravated an injury which could have kept him out for a couple of weeks now possibly keeps him out for four to eight weeks depending on your take on things they've also not got Mikhail Antonio West Ham as he's injured as well. So how much of an impact will that have on them? They've now nudged their way up into fourth after Chelsea's unexpected defeat to West Bromwich Albion. So if they are going to maintain an unlikely Champions League place, they're going to have to do it without Antonio, so no fit strikers, and now without Declan Rice, who's been such a key component to their campaign so far. Mm, Bowen needs to have a good few weeks, I think. Um, Otherwise... It could be dangerous. To be honest with you, I don't know who West Ham have got uh, coming up in the next month. But look, look, they're sat in that fourth position. Um, they'll they'll have their eyes on Chelsea and Tottenham. And Chelsea, all right, it's the first time they they um, they lost a game under under Tuchel. Uh, Tottenham, I think they they're struggling for a win themselves at the minute. Liverpool, it's well documented what problems they have. So if they, even if they compare themselves to the teams in and around them. They're still in pretty good shape. They've got form, and form is irreplaceable. Um, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather have uh, Antonio missing, but my team's got form than Antonio playing, and and we're struggling for points. Uh, and they're in that position where they keep on winning, uh, and winning when they need to. So probably it will affect them a little bit, but but they'll be happy going into that run. Yeah, absolutely. As for Wolves, Stefan rightly pointed out earlier, Matt, that they did drag themselves back into the game, although they couldn't get on level terms. It finished 3-2. To be fair to Wolves, we've said about the issues of this season across the board, not just for them, but in terms of the way this campaign is different to any other due to coronavirus, lack of fans and stadiums. But, you know, what's it been now? A long, long time over, well, get coming up to a year now that we've been playing games behind closed doors. They've also had injury problems. Um, Jimenez has been out, which hasn't helped. They've now lost Johnny Otto to a knee injury for the rest of the season. So they've got their problems, Wolverhampton Wanderers. But I think even if you take all of that into account, they've still had a poor season by the standards they would have set for themselves. Yeah, they have. I, I'm now, after the, I mean, the, jo- the Johnny injury was an ACL. You know, it's, it's, it's a really bad injury. And, and I, I, you know, he's out for the season, which only means eight games, but he's out for a long time because an ACL, as we know, is, is a terrible injury, so it's, it's incredibly unlucky. And I'm now convinced that Wolves, at some point, must have done something terrible to someone because they've had so much bad karma this season. They've they've upset someone. They've upset the man upstairs somehow because they've had so much bad karma this season. It's almost beyond belief. If they didn't have bad luck, they wouldn't have any luck um, because <laughs> the injuries that they've had, it, it, it's, it's killed them this season, really. They're a good side and they will be a good side next season. Maybe, as you said, you know, behind closed doors, he's not benefiting them. It benefits some teams, not others. For instance, I think West Ham have been a huge beneficiary of that. West Ham, to me, are a side who things go a little bit wrong. They get on the team's back because they, ha- they have so many fans and they have incredibly passionate fans. They've got a strong fan base. They get on the team's back and that can be counterproductive. You know, you're just trying to express your frustration, but it can be counterproductive. Um, so I think West Ham have been a beneficiary of the lack of fans, whereas Wolves, perhaps, I, 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 would, I don't even know how to justify it, but maybe they... Um, 
maybe they've really, really been affected by the lack of fans in the stadium. But the injuries, you can't avoid that. In any given season, if you get as many bad injuries as they have had, you can't expect to, to achieve your goals or um, you know, finish in a position that you set out to finish in at the beginning of the season. Even just the one Jimenez injury to you know your number one striker and arguably the best player in the team to be out for the season with such a horrific injury, that's enough to shake a team up and and you know ruin your momentum and your rhythm for the whole season. So I do I do feel for Wolves that they've been unlucky this season massively. I think they just want the season to end now. The Wolves supporters, um, and I also think that they kind of set a bar for themselves by finishing seventh twice in a row, and it's easy to forget that they are just Wolverhampton Wanderers who came up from the championship and they've been well-backed and they do have a crop of great players, like you say, Jimenez and Patricio now out with that head injury, which was very similar to Jimenez's problem. Um, Adama Traore's gone off the boil. They lost Matt Doherty to Spurs. Johnny's been injured, not for the first time this season. And I don't think their recruitment's been as good um, as it has been in previous campaigns. I like Pedro Neto, but again, they lost Diogo Jota to Liverpool. So... I think that there are problems to solve there for Wolves. Anyway, they went down 3-2 to West Ham United, who creep into the top four. Liverpool, Tottenham, Everton, all teams around them. Chelsea as well now dropping out of the picture, but I'm sure they'll be back in contention at some point soon. Speaking of Chelsea and Liverpool, both sides are in the Champions League quarterfinals. Liverpool do play tonight. They take on Real Madrid. We'll discuss how we think they'll get on next on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast from Sport Social. Make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss a single episode of the show again. There are two Champions League quarter-final first legs tonight involving Premier League sides. The first we're going to talk about is between Real Madrid and Liverpool. Two sides with a plethora of Champions League trophies between them. Also, two sides who are probably not having as good a domestic season as they would have hoped for. Liverpool not doing great in the Premier League, not in the top four. Mathematically can't maintain their Premier League title, so they've lost the title this season and they'll be hoping to get it back again next year. But by comparison, Real Madrid, by their standards, they're in third, three points off top spot in La Liga. So they're not doing particularly well either, Matt. So who do you think actually goes into this tie as favourites, both of them are European giants. We know how many European Cups both sides have won. I think this one's really tough to call. I wonder how you see it. I mean, I don't watch a lot of uh, other European leagues. Most of the football I watch is in England, the Premier League, or, or any of our th- other three football leagues below that. Um, but I've watched Real Madrid a fair bit in La Liga this season. And let me tell you, they are crap. Real Madrid are not the team that we thought they were, or that they have been of recent. They're really... They, they really flatter to deceive. And I think Liverpool, not been great this season, not not lived up to standards by any means. And again, as we said, similar to Wolves, best player maybe, got injured for the whole season, which is a nightmare for any club. Um, but Liverpool go in as strong favourites. I, I really expect Liverpool to go through. I hope Madrid can perform a bit better than what, what I've seen of them so that we get more of a game out of it. Uh, but I think Liverpool mm. go in as the better side and... Liverpool have also this season, the Liverpool we know because we watch the Premier League every week is not Liverpool of Europe. They play a lot better. The football is a lot better. They're they're a lot more reliable in Europe. So I think Liverpool actually quite comfortably go through Brough Real Madrid aside and and, and they've got a favourable tie in the next round should they get there. So, So I think this is looking good 
uh, for Liverpool at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Incentives for both Real Madrid and Liverpool. Should they win this tie, they get through to face either Chelsea or Porto in the semi-finals. So certainly uh, decent incentives there, as I say, to get through this one. I mean, Matt thinks, Stefan, that Liverpool should be clear favourites, um, such are the way that Real Madrid are playing and what he's seen of them. But he also mentioned that European competition is a bit of a different beast. I think we've seen that this season, that Liverpool are a completely different prospect in Europe. Maybe that's the pressures of the Premier League being left to one side for a moment. But you could probably level the same thing at Real Madrid. So are you in the same camp as Matt and thinking that Liverpool should go into this one as favourites? They've won the tournament more recently than Real Madrid have. Yeah, I know what Matt's saying. Um, it's tough because the, the the European pedigree of both teams kind of dictates that they, they can all they can both have off seasons um, and still win a Champions League. I mean, Real Madrid won it three years in a row, um, and they they weren't they weren't the best team in Europe for all three years. Um, they've just just got a knack of knowing how to get through and progress uh, into the next rounds of the Champions League. And the only other team that you can probably say that about. Is also Liverpool. So for me, for me, it's a complete fifty-fifty. Um, it all depends on 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 how Liverpool's top three are looking. Um, if Salah has a has a good day, if Mane is playing well, um, if Firmino is linking up nicely between them, if it works for those three, then I think they'll be a real threat to Real Madrid. But you can't forget that Real Madrid have you know we're saying that they're having a bad season, only three points off Atletico Madrid at top. Benzema can score in any game. Um, so, it I, I can't call it. Um, I don't I don't I don't think we really need to call it until the second leg. I think it might be a bit cagier tonight than what it than what it otherwise would have been in a one off game. So it, it's interesting. What about the actual approach then from Liverpool, Matt? We saw them against Arsenal, albeit I thought Arsenal were abject, but they really put Arsenal on the back foot and they really kept them contained inside their own half. And then in the second half, they really kind of put their foot on the gas and uh, went for the jugular and they ended up getting the result that they fully deserved. Do you think that we'll see a similar approach from Jurgen Klopp's side? Because if you can nick a couple of away goals at the Bernabeu, that puts yourself in such a strong position, bringing the Spaniards back to Anfield. Without without a doubt. And I also think it will help in setting the tone. Liverpool... This season, the the best way Liverpool can play this season is to attack. You know that they've been they've been unlucky defensively with Gomez and Van Dijk. So going forward is is, is their, their biggest threat. They've not really had many changes. In fact, if anything, they've strengthened their attacking options because Diogo Jota has come in and he's he's somehow a revelation. You know, he's 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 two or three times the player he was at Wolves, in my opinion. So I think they should. Uh, Real Madrid, on the other hand, look weak defensively to me. Like I just said before, I really I really have major major doubts about Real Madrid. It's the, as Stefan was saying, the two sides got so much European pedigree that you look at it and go, "Wow, Liverpool and Real Madrid, this this is this is a clash. This is a clash of the titans." But I don't think Madrid live up to that expectation this season. They're three points off the top of the league, but it's only come about in the last uh, couple of weeks that because Atletico Madrid have fallen off somewhat, um, and Madrid have picked up a few wins on the bounce. But they've been poor for the vast majority of the season, and, and they've been a, a long way off for the vast majority of the season as well. Um, so I think Liverpool should look at it as let, let's go and try and score goals. Let's let's you know have that impetus and, and and go and try and take the game to Real Madrid because I think they'll have success with it as well. Not only is it the right way to approach it from a standpoint of going forward is their biggest asset, but also I think they will have success with it. And uh, listen, I could I could be wrong. I could be wrong. What I see you know could be deceiving, and Madrid could come out and play like the Madrid that we know. But I do believe that Liverpool will go and and, and look a lot more comfortable 
than some people might be expecting tonight. Do you think Real Madrid have lost that Galacticos tag, Stefan? Do you think that those days are gone? And they spent big money maybe two summers ago. I think they bought Eden Hazard for 100 million as well as a couple of other players here and there. Do you think that that Galacticos Real Madrid moniker has kind of ebbed away over the last couple of years? Not really, no. I think they're still the Galacticos team, aren't they? Um, because they just buy big in certain summers and then they, they build a team around that for three, four years. Um, they haven't... They, I think they tried to do a bit of a revolution with Eden Hazard going to, to Real Madrid a couple of years ago and that's not really panned out for both player or club. Um, so... They're probably they're probably in need of a bit of a recruitment drive to get that tag back as Galacticos, but um, they're still they're still that. There's still that fear factor there for Real Madrid. It's still a side that you don't want in the draw. Yeah, hundred percent. Nobody wants Real Madrid in the draw. <laughs> well, they take on Liverpool tonight, Champions League quarter final first leg. Manchester City leading the way in the Premier League, look likely to lift the trophy as Liverpool, as we've just mentioned, they can't pick up the silverware now. Uh, how are they fair in the Champions League, though? It feels like the Premier League's wrapped up for Pep Guardiola's side. But what about the Champions League? Something they've never won, something Pep hasn't won for 10 years now, since 2011, where he did it with Barcelona by beating Manchester United at Wembley. The key focus here this evening, though, Steph, Erling Haaland. He'll be a massive focus point. Obviously, he's one of the hottest properties in Europe. I know he's been in Barcelona with his agent, Mino Raiola. He checked into Manchester slightly earlier than some of the other Dortmund players. He's been in the Lowry Hotel, um, maybe scoping out a move to uh, a, cl- a club in this part of the world. Um, but first of all, before we talk about the transfer speculation, how are City going to go about stopping someone who's in as good a form as he is? I'm, I'm loving this idea of Haaland walking around Manchester as a big dog, by the way. <laughs> hanging around in the hanging around in the foyer of the Lowry Hotel. What a guy! Well, I tell you what. Well, let's talk about that first. Then, before we talk about how City are going to stop him, he turned up to the Lowry with a sky blue backpack on. Now we know that his father, Alf Inge Haaland, played for Manchester City back in the day. We know that there are pictures on the internet of Erling Haaland in a Manchester City shirt. We know there are photos of Erling Haaland at the Etihad watching games with his old man. We know that he has a fondness for the club. Can you read anything into a sky blue backpack and him checking in at the Lowry? Ooh. That's what they say at Hearts. It's not official until the scarf's above the head. So I, I think it's the same for, for Haaland. It's, it's not official until I've seen him with a Man City scarf wrapped around his neck. Naturally, the social media rumours um, began after that photo began circulating, Matt. Do you think that of all the clubs that possibly could bring... Erling Haaland in Manchester City lead the list or do you think that maybe there are other propositions on the table that might tempt him a little bit more uh, well I mean I mean the first thing to say is that the kid is the real deal he is he, he is serious he is a good footballer and he's the future whoever gets him has got a goal scorer for 10 years I've not rarely do you see a guy that has the the the, the natural abilities and goal scoring abilities that he has but he's also an unbelievable athlete you know he's so he's fast he's tall He's like a machine. It's, it's actually bizarre to watch him because he, you don't think that he can have every, every attribute that he has, but he really does. Um, and I'm, 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 If anything, I'm a bit more excited about him than I was about Kylian Mbappe at the same stage when he first burst onto the scene. I think Haaland is, is above that level. Um, but to answer your question, I've heard talks that, you know, it's going to be like 200 million to sign him. Again, these are, these are just talks, but it's, you know, this could be as real as, as, as real and as truthful as him wearing a blue backpack. So it means that he's signing for City, you know, 
we woke up this morning and the sky was blue, so so he's signing for City. But um, if if it is something like two hundred million, there really aren't many, if any, teams that can afford that. I don't think not not in the current um, situation that we're in with coronavirus and teams admitting that they've got less money than they potentially do. City obviously kind of exempt uh, from those difficulties given their owners and and the amount of money that they do have, similarly to PSG. But I don't think PSG sign him. I don't think PSG could justify in any way, shape or form having three forwards that are all worth, that they've paid, you know, all say over £150 million for in Neymar, Mbappe and Haaland. I don't know if they could ever justify that. Well, Neymar and Mbappe are both out of contract in the summer, aren't they? So there are question marks whether, you know, if PSG... They'll move on. Yeah, we'll let them go and, you know, Haaland could come in. But Pep Guardiola has kind of been, not stirring the pot, that's the wrong word, because... He said last week that he's too expensive and City won't be drawn into a bidding war and they won't be paying that big money for Erling Haaland. But then he was asked again a couple of days ago and he also said, well, if we need to bring in a generational talent, then I'm sure we could find that money to spend. There's no doubt that Erling Haaland is a generational talent. And with Sergio Aguero moving on, naturally, people will put two and two together. Yeah, they've got the money. He can say what he wants. You know, he, he, uh, Guardiola will say anything. He can say anything he wants. I think at this point, press conferences are a bit of fun for Guardiola because he gets asked so many bizarre questions and, you know, there's so many expectations on him to be a, this football genius and revolutionary mind, revolutionary mind. But he just he just has fun when he does it. But City have got the money. They can. I think City can afford anyone. They could choose anyone they wanted and they could afford them. It's just whether or not they can justify it. And, you know, they'll get, they, you know, if they sign... Harland and the fee's out 200 million and he doesn't play great well you know you might have afforded it but was it a good idea and you're going to get hammered for it as well so they can afford it whether or not they choose to do it is a different matter uh, but I think it's really maybe between them Real Madrid will Real Madrid go for him he, he, he went there supposedly didn't he um, we saw his, his dad and Mino Raiola were in, were in Madrid over the Easter weekend as you mentioned so I think it is between maybe one or two clubs, even though they're talk, there's talk of every European club interested in him. But I'm, you know, every club's interested in Erling yeah. Haaland. My old Sunday League team, Charlie Parker, are interested in, <laughs> in Erling Haaland. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's probably City or Madrid. Yeah, well, we've spoken about Erling Haaland and where he could end up. Absolutely loads on Football Social Daily. I'm sure he will be a focal point again before the end of the season. But how are City going to go about keeping him at bay? Because... I think his reaction to scoring goals or whether he does score any goals against Manchester City for Dortmund might be a telling sign, Stefan. Um, they're not doing great in the Bundesliga this season, Borussia Dortmund, it's, it's fair to say. It seems likely that Haaland's going to move on and they're going to lose a key asset. They could even lose Jadon Sancho in the summer. Um, do you think that Haaland will have a point to prove knowing that there'll be plenty of eyes watching and it's somewhere he's quite fond of, the Etihad Stadium? Yeah, it's kind of like the last spin in the shop window for Haaland, just to to prove beyond any reasonable doubt that he is the next big deal. And he is. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's scored 33 goals in 32 games this season. Uh, nobody else is doing that this year. So he is the man. He's playing in a struggling team, though. I mean, this is a team that lost to Frankfurt at the weekend, drew with uh, Köln. Um, they're struggling. Um, so... <laughs> It's got Man City written all over it, to be honest. So it's important. It, <laughs> it does. It does. Though. It's um. It's important for Haaland to 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 play well, and um, maybe score a goal. Um, but either way, Dortmund are going to lose this tie, and Haaland will be gone in the summer. Dortmund are going to lose this tie, says Stefan, which means Matt that he thinks City will be able to overcome their shortcomings in the Champions League. Let's say. 
as I mentioned, Dortmund not having a great season domestically, but we, we said the same thing about Liverpool and Real Madrid. Does that matter too much? Or in this instance, does it matter quite a bit? Because Manchester City have looked absolutely dominant this season. You know, the winning run they went on was record-breaking. They've certainly got the bit between their teeth in the Premier League, but they've also got a point to prove in the Champions League. And I think Pep Guardiola does as well. But it feels like they're going to need to really try and get the job done early doors against Dortmund to to leave them feeling less nervous, let's just say, in the second leg when they have to go away from home. Yeah, but I, I think I think it does it, it definitely does matter in this in this instance. Um I mentioned before that, you know, seldom do I watch other European leagues, but I've seen I've watched Dortmund a few times this season as well and they look young and naive to me. I've seen them concede plenty of goals, stupid goals that you don't need to concede, and then it's difficult to claw your way back in. Fortunately for Dortmund they do have a guy that we've just been talking about called Haaland. They have Sancho as well. So they've got great talents going forward and they can damage anyone. City are really strong defensively, which is unusual for Manchester City, but that, that's the reality this season. So I think they can cope with what's thrown at them from Dortmund's perspective. And they're probably, uh, from an experience and naivety level, Dortmund, you know, they'll fall, they'll fall short because City and Guardiola... They look like a force this season. If they've ever had a, a, a real chance at winning the Champions League it's this season, and I think they'll get through relatively comfortably as well. Well, I've always said, Stefan, that Manchester City aren't taken as seriously in Europe as they are in England because they've never really been to a final or the latter stages. They haven't earned their stripes yet. They haven't earned that Champions League prestige. For instance, it took Chelsea a long time to get that level of recognition in European competition even though they had won a couple of Premier Leagues under Mourinho, they got to a couple of semi-finals and people started to take them seriously. And then in 2012, almost against the odds, really, when you look at the way they won the trophy, they did end up lifting the European Cup. So I think that after that point, people now take Chelsea slightly more seriously in European competition. Do you think that Manchester City are beginning to kind of earn that respect? And do you think that by, you know, actually breaking the glass ceiling, I suppose, and winning the Champions League. Do you think that that will really kind of make them a, a fully-fledged European heavyweight? Yeah, 100%. It, it takes decades to become a, you know, to become a, um, a to, you know, a top-class feared European team in that competition. Yeah. Um, it, it's all about performing uh, and getting to finals uh, consistently over decades. And there's certain clubs who've done that. Um, and that's why they'll always be feared. It's why, it's why nobody wants to play against Real Madrid. It's why nobody wants to play against Liverpool. It's why it's if if AC Milan were were in the Champions League, nobody would want to play against them because it's a difficult job, especially going to a, a pack San Siro. Um, there's mm. these teams that have always had it. Dortmund are a bit strange because they've won the Champions League, but it was almost on a bit of a one-off, a bit of a spin, a bit like Ajax at the very beginning of the Champions League. Um, so Chelsea probably are the best example of a team who uh, were consistently probably the best, um, at least for three or four years, especially under the first spell of Mourinho, the best team in yeah. the Premier League who then became that feared Champions League team and Man City are kind of going through that process now. Um, and undoubtedly, I think, if, if you ask the majority of people, they'd say that Man City have got the best team probably in Europe at the minute. Um, yeah. So I think Bayern Munich run them close. I think if they run into Bayern, Stefan, they could they could find themselves in yeah, trouble. And 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 that's where that's where that same same air that caught me, you know, plays where where Bayern, you know, they are a feared team, obviously best in their league, uh, have been consistently, but have consistently won the Champions League over decades. So that that that's 
that's where City are getting to. I think I think they're close there. And as you say, Gabriel's got quite a lot to prove. Really, he needs to win that trophy mm-hmm. again. Um, and they've got they've got to be up there as favourites. Well, Manchester City take on Borussia Dortmund Champions League quarter-final first leg at the Etihad tonight. Real Madrid host Liverpool in their respective tie. And of course, we'll have all the reaction, all the fallout from that on tomorrow's Football Social Daily, the only Premier League podcast with a new show every single day of the season. But that's it for today's episode. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you very much, Stefan. Cheers, mate. My name's Niall and we'll catch you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.